This podcast is sponsored by Allianz Investment Management, LLC, issuer of defined outcome ETFs that give investors a level of risk mitigation to help them navigate current and future markets. As part of the Allianz Group, one of the largest asset management diversified insurance companies in the world, Allianz Investment Management, LLC maintains a long track record of developing and executing risk management strategies across the globe. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risk charges, and expenses carefully before investing. For a prospectus with this and other information, visit AllianceIM.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Funds are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Hello, and welcome to Inside ETFs, the podcast where we bring the greatest and latest ETF industry perspectives directly to you through in-depth discussions with key thought leaders from across the ETF ecosystem. I'm your host, Douglas Jonas, the head of exchange-traded products at the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. Now, today I am joined by John Fayer. John leads the innovation and commercialization team, which includes oversight of product development for Invesco. He was a very early joiner of Invesco during the PowerShares era and has been with the firm for over 15 years. Founded in the early 2000s as PowerShares and acquired by Invesco in 2006, they have grown to become the fourth largest ETF issuer globally and second largest when looking at the number of ETFs offered worldwide. Invesco maintains over $570 billion in assets under management, with nearly $50 billion in new net assets coming into the U.S. lineup of ETFs just this year. John, thank you so much for being here. Always good to see you, Doug. Thanks for the time. Now, John, let's start right at the beginning. Now, you and your colleagues at Invesco were very early in ETFs. Did you see this kind of growth, this kind of financial advisor acceptance, this this broad scale adoption coming from those early, early days? Okay. Uh, first of all, Doug, let's level set on broad scale adoption. Just to put that in context, in 2021, we are knocking on the door of one trillion dollars in net new assets. That represents two times the previous high that we saw actually back just last year in 2020. We're now approaching seven trillion uh, in assets in the U.S. Did we see it? I can actually say we did. I actually was looking at uh, recently going back, looking at some of the strategic plans that we put together. We're back to 2007 and saw that indeed when we looked out on the future going out you know, 10, 20 years, we did see this type of growth. And, and why did we see this type of growth? Simply because it makes sense for our clients. We saw the ETF as a delivery vehicle. And, and I can remember uh, sitting in front of financial advisors early in my career, and they couldn't get it out of their mind that an ETF could be something other than the S&P 500. Well, we saw ETFs as a disruptive technology in the way that it combines benefits for clients. Things like uh, that roll off our tongue today, low cost, tax efficient, transparent, intraday liquidity. These are all things that, that uh, really point to uh, the, the value that ETFs can bring to our, uh, to our clients. Yeah, John, you know, you bring up so many great points. It, it does roll off our tongue today, right? We sit down and, and everyone just rattles off, oh, ETFs, they provide liquidity. Oh, they're, they're especially now, right? They're, people are talking about the tax efficiency. But it, it, for those of us who've been in this for, for 20 plus years, I mean, I remember launching my first ETF in 2001. We did really focus a lot on trying to convince people of those extreme benefits, but but the initial adoption was not nearly what it is today. I'm always fascinated. You know, my my dad always loves to call me. He sees even in his local newspaper, he sees these articles about ETFs. 
I, you know, if you go back 10, 15, 20 years, did you, did you think it would be like that? Did you think that just everyone seemingly wants to own ETFs? Well, it certainly was one thing that we saw, you know, early on the opportunity for that to be the case. It is a little surreal to see that, you know, come into fruition, if you will. But once again, looking back, I found it fascinating to go back and look at those strategic planning documents that we put together, which we did forecast the, uh, you know, forecast the growth. And indeed, it has, uh, it has come to fruition. I would quickly mention that it is interesting when you look at a history now that we have with ETFs, it is interesting to note that market dislocations that we've seen during the history, you know, the technology crash, the global financial crisis, most recently the, the COVID crisis. These are, are events that actually, when you look at flows to ETFs following them, they actually increase markedly. And part of that is because of those attributes, because of the transparency, the low cost, the tax efficiency that, that investors tend to, to gravitate to ETFs uh, uh, more so than other investment vehicles. Yeah, and tremendous access vehicles, right? We can all touch ETFs pretty easily. You can't all touch a mutual fund that's sitting on a on a transfer platform, right? Those have gatekeepers along the way, and so access has been a big issue. Uh, you know, John, I want to talk a little bit about Invesco's innovation, right? You've had just numerous years of innovation across ETFs in a lot of different areas, almost the pioneer, if you will, of something that we in the industry have termed smart beta. Although it's interesting to me that we must have said the word smart beta hundreds of thousands of times for a series of years there. And now so seemingly it's as if adoption went past it. Uh, and we just don't seem to, to mention that term. But I'd love to know from your side, you know, as you are speaking with advisors, it has the growth and adoption that we've seen across the ETF industry broadly, is that what you're seeing now uh, with smart beta? Are you still talking about smart beta? Well, it's interesting, you know, time flies, first of all. I mean, the, the, the term smart beta didn't exist 20 years ago. You talk about, you know, the founding of our firm. That was, you know, I think that term was still probably seven or eight years in the offing at that point. But, you know, we called it, at, you know, at that point, intelligent indexing. But we really, you know, the premise that we've always had, Doug, from day one, and it's still true today, and that is, uh, you know, taking this benefit-rich vehicle, we've already talked about the benefits of ETFs, but the opportunity to deliver a wide array of investment strategies via indexes that are designed to be investable. And ultimately, what is that for? For the benefit of our clients. So, you know, you can you know, call it what you'd like. You know, I, I think our industry is very easy to get hung up on terms, but Invesco, we see smart beta as simply a more intelligent way to construct an index, an approach where an index is, once again, designed as an investment and designed to be a tool in portfolio construction. You know, it is one thing I would point out is, is especially when you look at that long period of time, a critical differentiator is track record. Because you can, like I say, you call it what you want, but ultimately strategies that have 15, 20 year track records, which many of our, you know, strategies in Vesco do, uh, not only help to, to evaluate, uh, but also really uh, helps to evaluate not just tr versus traditional indexes, but also versus actively managed uh, strategies, which is actually where we see a lot of interest coming into these ETFs is not necessarily from those that are that are focused on uh, more benchmark type returns, but actually those that uh, may, for one reason or another, have become disenchanted with uh, with their returns to their active strategies, and ultimately can look to smart beta for potentially a better outcome. So really, you know, that's what we look at: is this innovation? Call it what you want, but it really is, uh, we believe, focused on helping drive better investment outcomes for our for our clients. 
Yeah, I find it fascinating that uh, we started out with smart beta being a, a, almost like a debate of, of against just a traditional market cap weighting. And then it only took a few years for us to now look at smart beta as an alpha strategy and, and, and a pure strategy itself as a way of, of potential outperformance. Uh, let's get a little bit into one of the probably most popular, call them what do you will, smart beta strategies out there, which is the Invesco S&P 500 equal weight ETF. It's ticker symbol RSP for anyone who's not as familiar. Uh, you've seen, John, some pretty tremendous inflows in RSP this year. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about why that interest is there. What's driving all the cash flow? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think RSP really, once again, the S&P 5, the Invesco S&P 500 Equal Weight Index really embodies who we are and what we mean about a better, we think a better way to construct investment strategy. It's interesting if you look, just as a side note, Doug, if you look at the original intent on an index and kind of this idea of getting average returns. And it's interesting, if you look at history, some of the original index investor actually considered equal weighting uh, as an approach, because at that point, you're getting the return of the average stock but tech, now the technology of the days, things like simple as spreadsheets that we see today didn't exist. So ultimately, you know, market capitalization became the, really became the way that index investors uh, uh, access the market. But, you know, equally weighting is really simple. And I think that's one of the uh, real benefits and one of the draws to it. It's sim- very simple and very transparent. It simply equally weights the, the constituents of the S&P 500. And very importantly, it rebalances quarterly. And this, you know, both of those elements are critical uh, to the value proposition. And, you know, you ask the question, why is it, you know, something so simple becomes so popular? Well, providing more balanced exposure. Uh, investors realize when they look at traditional market cap indexes, such as the S&P 500, that their returns from a risk and return perspective are bound to the names of Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft, simply because they they have so much weight. I mean, those top five names within the S&P 500, uh, you know, at times have been close to 25% of the weight of the index. And I just want to put that concentration in perspective. If you look at the market capitalization of some of those biggest companies, those actually are larger than entire countries' market uh, uh, equity markets. If you look at uh, you know Germany, UK, France, so those 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 handful of names alone are bigger than entire countries. So by equally weighting. Uh, you end up getting exposure to what we call the size factor and to a lesser extent, the value factor. But ultimately, it's appealing to, to, to our clients because it helps them broaden the exposure versus having a, a portfolio that's driven by just a few names. So you know, as we like to say, RSP uh, helps to take the concentration out of the S&P 500. And we certainly see plenty of opportunity uh, to, uh, to help uh, given the significant amount of assets. Last I saw about $800 billion invested in traditional S&P 500 ETFs, certainly a lot of opportunity for RSP to help our clients diversify. Yeah. And I know I've spent some time on your website where you actually break down. And, and I think that's what's so great about ETFs. You could go to a website and look at Invesco's RSP ETF, and you can actually look every single day at the exact holdings breakdown and compare it directly against uh, market cap weighted strategy and actually see the difference in diversification just directly on your own. So so really fantastic. I, I want to move on to another topic that has been very popular this year, John, and that is this idea of ESG. And, and call it what you will, the ESG headline has probably been uh, one of the most talked about headline that we see, not just in the world of ETFs, but I think across investing in general. Now, you at Invesco, you actually just recently launched an integrated ESG version of RSP here at the New York Stock Exchange. 
Could you tell us a little bit about this ETF as well as broadly, how does Invespo, Invesco approach ESG? What, what are the ESG solutions that you're thinking about for advisors? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm going to actually take the latter part of that question first and then get back to the former. And the latter part, you know, when you look at, at our footprint, if you will, within the ETF landscape as it relates to ESG, once again, in this area, we were a pioneer, much like we see on the smart beta side of things, having launched thematic ESG products now 16, 17 years ago. And I, once again, I would say that's well before the term ESG even became uh, kind of bannered about, if you will. But really, our early emphasis was on these thematic strategies, such as clean energy, uh, solar, water resources, more recently, uh, green building, you know, significant acceptance by uh, uh, ETF investors in being able to access very tight focus on these uh, on these ESG-related themes. But as you mentioned, more recently, we've introduced an integrated ESG index focused on the S&P 500 Equal Weight Index. And, and really, what this does is essentially enhance the Equal Weight Index to a more granular sustainability metrics and reducing uh, the carbon intensity through exclusions and employing uh, ESG risk scoring to arrive at a final portfolio. So ultimately, when we think about this, is it represents, and in ticker here is RSPE, obviously the E on the end there, representing choice for our clients. I mean, different ways for our investors to access the benefits of equal weighting. And once again, reduction in concentration risk, exposure to those factors that we've talked about, and a strategy that tends to buy low and sell high through its rebalancing, but do so through an ESG uh, integrated index methodology. And, and of course, John, I know you for years, right? You've spent time speaking with advisors. So, okay, I'm a financial advisor. I'm listening in on the podcast. Maybe I'm aware of RSP because of its popularity. Maybe I'm not. I'm learning. Uh, you're now talking to me about RSP is an equal weight strategy. RSPE is an ESG oriented strategy with equal weight. How do I define that and think about it in terms of actually putting investments to practice? So are these tactical ETFs? Are they strategic ETFs? Are there best practices that you would say, here is how you would actually integrate this into portfolio? Yeah, no, it's interesting. As we talk to, to clients, we ultimately see you know, multiple applications. But what we like to really point to and where we think that there is, uh, is really the, the, the best opportunity to add value to an investment portfolio through uh, RSP or RSPE is in the role of a strategic equity core holding. And really, what do you, when you look at the core of an investment portfolio, the equity core, what are you looking forward to do? You're looking forward to drive the long-term returns for the portfolio. And it's interesting when you look, and this gets back to my point from earlier as it relates to track record, because having in this case, nearly a 20 year track record, you can really start to dissect what, uh, you know, what has happened and why across long periods of time. And what you see with an equal weight approach uh, is the ability to see an enhanced, what we call rolling win rate. Right? When you look at it over longer periods, increasingly longer periods of time, you see excess returns uh, being generated. For instance, if you were to look at a rolling one-year uh, uh, basis uh, over the nearly 20 years of, of index history, you see that, that basically an equal weight approach beats the, the underlying traditional benchmark about half the time. When you extend that uh, out to five years, it's about two-thirds of the time. When you extend it out to a rolling 10-year basis, 80% of the time, historically, uh, equal weight has added value relative to, to, to traditional. So we do think that there's an opportunity to, to deploy these strategies, both to diversify traditional uh, market cap, as well as, frankly, serve as an alternative. And uh, you know, I would simply say, uh, when you look at it just more anecdotally, and you look at uh, through history within cap-weighted indexes, 
those names that reside at the top, those that are the biggest in the index, don't tend to stay there. So equal weight is a great way to, to, to more broadly own the market, as I said, to take the concentration out of the S&P 500 and potentially achieve uh, uh, excess returns over longer periods of time. You know, one of the things that uh, our audience may not have an appreciation for is how much work goes into launching a brand new ETF, how much research, how much in-field questionnaires that go out from, from firms like Invesco. And so it's not a, it's not a game or long gone or the, is the idea of you just put an ETF out and hope it works. And so I always love asking this question for you, John, because I know you and your teams would have put a lot of work or, you know, we'll call it blood, sweat, and tears into an ETF where you just know this ETF is going to be a rock star the second it hits the market. Are there ETFs though that have that have hit the market that you just sit there and kind of scratch your head and say, I, I can't I can't believe it. A financial financial advisor should be loving this ETF. Uh, where's the adoption rate we expected? Is there something out there like that for you? Yeah, it's interesting that the, what immediately comes to mind, and we have spent a ton of time through this going all the way back to literally to 2005, is in the Stylebox side of things. As you know, Doug, so many financial advisors utilize the Stylebox in order to be able to allocate within and across the equity spectrum, if you will. And it, you know, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a framework that's been around for upwards of 40 years. And the underpinning there, of course, as you look at that approach is, is achieving diversification across equities. And you ultimately look at market cycle performance and you see different, you know, between value and growth and small and large, you see different periods in which, uh, you know, different companies, uh, different equities tend to outperform. But what's interesting, if you look at the the existing, where the lion's share of the assets are today, traditional style indexes that, by the way, have hundreds of billions of dollars in, in assets that are tracking them. What, what many uh, don't understand is that the way that those indexes are constructed, there is actually overlap between them. So you'd be, if you're owning the S&P 500 growth index and the S&P 500 value index, there's actually overlap where you see some of those same names taking fairly significant positions that are actually in both. So really that, that ability to diversify is somewhat mitigated. And Vesco you know, has within our lineup the, the S&P uh, 500 Pure Style Indexes, ticker RPG and RPV. And these were introduced into the marketplace back in 2006, but really with the goal of providing financial advisors, once again, indexes, exposure to indexes that were designed as investments. And in this case, there's no overlap and the, the constituents are actually weighted based upon their style score. So they really can be useful tools in helping to seek enhanced diversification benefits and ultimately can serve as a more precise tool for portfolio construction. So it is interesting, you know, you look at the, the, the aggregation of, of RPV and RPG, there's still almost $7 billion in, in assets. So, you know, certainly significant ETFs, but, you know, to your original question, they, they seem as a really a far cry from the hundreds of billions that we see in traditional style indexes. And we believe that there's still significant opportunity for, for financial advisors to, uh, to ultimately prove me wrong and see that these are utilized to the tune that, that, that we thought that they would be at one point. For, for our listeners, you know, one of the things we really strive to do in this podcast is tease out new and interesting investment ideas. And so when we get ready for these sessions, I was talking with John. John, you you had mentioned to me a little bit about Fed Chairman's Fed Chairman Powell's comments about inflation, right? And and this this line of transitory inflation uh, that's come up so much into the press. You, you started talking to me a bit about commodities and that commodities could be a much more interesting play for advisors right now. So so let's tease that out a, a bit more. You know, what are you seeing in terms of 
flows into broad commodity ETFs? And are there ways advisors should be thinking about these kinds of strategies right now? Yeah, you know, Doug, it's interesting. This is another area in which Invesco has, has played another uh, really a pioneering role. Uh, we launched the Invesco DB Commodity Index Tracking Fund all the way back in 2006. So we've been in this space for quite a long time. And it is interesting when you take a look at the, uh, you know, the dynamic that we've seen on a year-to-date basis. And in particular, the last, really the last couple of uh, months, you, we've, we've really started to see as that, uh, uh, as inflation has become more and more of a reality. And as you mentioned, as Chairman Powell just uh, spoke to the point that it may be more than transitory, uh, we do see continued interest in these types of, uh, in these types of strategies. So um, the, uh, the, one of the, the tickers I would quickly mention, PDBC, uh, this is a broad commodity index that we offer. That we offer, and it actually is, is the the uh, single largest uh, in terms of garnering assets this year in the broad commodity space. But really, you know, to your point, commodities in general provide a good hedge against inflation. And uh, you know, we see an opportunity not just for a uh, you know in the in the in the sense of a kind of a possible play here, but more of the potential for a strategic role within an investment portfolio, and not only providing long-term diversification, but once again, also providing a hedge against, uh, against, uh, against inflation. I want to stay on that topic because inflation certainly top of mind as we're getting close to the end of 2021. Uh, there's talks every day of rising interest rates. Are there particular strategies for financial advisors, given that we're probably heading into a rising interest rate market next year? So yeah, and it's interesting, Doug, beyond uh, positioning for inflation, a lot of recent conversations with, with financial advisors that, they, to your point, have focused on their fixed income allocations and specifically preparing for uh, more of that rising rate environment. And it's interesting when you look at the fixed income side of the equation, uh, unlike in equities where indexes uh, cover significant portions of the, the broad market, fixed income indices don't necessarily do that. So there are opportunities for uh, financial advisors to go, what I like to say, go beyond the ag and go beyond the core fixed income uh, exposure and in being able to add uh, strategies that that can address more of the non-core segments, things that, you know, strategies that can enhance yield, uh, can drive better diversification uh, and can help navigate, as you say, those, those rising interest rate environments. So the ETFs that come to mind you know, for this, uh, for this really are, are those that ex- provide exposure to senior loans, for example, for example, uh, ticker BKLN, uh, preferreds, including variable rate preferred, high yield, uh, emerging market debt, uh, tips, you know, those types of strategies. Once again, I think getting at one of the, the uh, premise, premises that, that ETFs bring to the table is being able to very, very thoughtfully construct the fixed income portion of an investment portfolio uh, in ways that go beyond just traditional uh, bond indices. So, John, no podcast in 2021 could be complete without talking about either Bitcoin or digital assets. So let's make sure we tick that box. I want to know what Invesco is doing, how you're thinking, what you're telling clients about the entire digital asset space right now. Well, it's interesting. This is kind of real time what we've seen historically. I mean, Invesco, as we've talked about, uh, be it in the area of smart beta, be it in the area of commodities, be it in the area of uh, of ESG, these are areas that we've pioneered, and we are looking at this asset class in much the same way. The opportunity to once again uh, utilize the ETF as a delivery vehicle to break new ground in a way that centers on meeting the needs of our clients. So overall, you know, a lot of work being done in this space. It's obviously an incredible, dy- incredibly dynamic side of the ETF market. It's heavily impacted on what we see <clears throat> coming from the regulators. So just almost a full time job keeping track of 
of that. I would mention, you know, in uh, in September of this year, we announced a partnership with Gal- Galaxy Digital. So very excited to be working with the team at Galaxy. And in October, we actually launched two uh, ETFs, the Invesco Alarian Galaxy Crypto Economy ETF. The ticker there is uh, SATO. Uh, and the Invesco Galaxy, uh, Alarian Galaxy Blockchain Users and Decentralized Commerce. And that is a mouthful, but uh, uh, ticker BLKC. And really, these two strategies are designed to get exposure to the economy through equities uh, in these spaces, uh, Sato being much more tightly focused on the crypto space, uh, and uh, BLKC, uh, a broader, uh, more of a, a blockchain type of an approach. The thing I would emphasize with these is the inclusion of a 15, what we call 15% sleeve, where there's actually an, a portion of the allocation that goes into exchange ETPs and trusts uh, that can get a, a more direct exposure to, uh, to the digital assets. So we are really excited for the role that digital assets can play in investment portfolios. Uh, and we are excited to, uh, to see what uh, the new year is going to bring and the work that we're doing to, uh, to bring these strategies, you know, bring further strategies to market in the digital asset space. Yeah, of course. And and of course, super excited to be working on that with you together at the New York Stock Exchange. We're, we're weeks away now, John, from closing out on 2021. Advisors probably getting their portfolios ready for uh, the end of the year and then, and then really starting to think already about 2022. In your opinion, what should advisors be thinking about right now to plan for their portfolio next year? Well, certainly some of the things we've talked about, uh, you know, previously here, I think, uh, you know, have relevance as we look out on 2022. I think, you know, inflation is something that uh, investors should be, uh, you know, have top of mind and looking at allocations that can help with that. We've already talked about, you know, uh, rising rates and, and different ETFs that can that, that can plug in there. And that's once again, one of the things that is really, I think, uh, uh, a benefit of how the ETF marketplace has evolved is just once again, that toolkit has broadened significantly. So the ability to address these, these, uh, these issues within investment portfolios is better today than it has been at any point uh, in the past. The other thing I would quickly mention uh, that I think is relevant, and obviously we've seen it here in recent weeks, is just uh, onset of, of increased volatility. And, and once again, this is just an area that ETFs can provide a way to address that within the within an investment portfolio, uh, low volatility strategies that can help uh, clients maintain equity exposure, but do so uh, in a way that uh, sees a low, generally lower uh, realized volatility uh, through through long periods of time. So opportunities we head into 2022 to think about some of those factor strategies that can help to mitigate uh, risk uh, while still once again maintaining equity exposure uh, as we head into uh, to 2022. Now, certainly appreciate all the different uh, bits of guidance and education you've you shared with us. You shared your thinking at Invesco. I think a lot of uh, financial advisors listening in probably have a bit of work to do on your website, Invesco.com, to look at all the different ETFs you had mentioned. Uh, as we do close out the year, though, John, for you and your family, are, are there specific holiday traditions or the things that you look forward to this time of year that you just can't wait to, to dig into? Well, it's, uh, you know, in our 24-7 world, uh, the holidays offer up, and I'm sure you agree with this, Doug, the holidays offer up, you know, one of those few times a year to, you know, where you can fully unplug and get away. So we typically get away. Uh, we actually are big skiers and love to get where we can almost be assured of a white, white Christmas. And uh, one of the traditions that we have is actually a white elephant. So the 23rd, we typically go out. Uh, spending limit of $20, which as we talked about with inflation being a reality that probably isn't going to go as far this year as it has in past years, but 
limited to twenty dollars. Go out, buy uh, as crazy a gift as you can find, and then we have an exchange with the broader uh, family on Christmas Eve. Generally, le- le- leads to a lot of laughs and uh, a lot of fun as we enter the, the the holiday season. So that's a tradition we've had for the last several years, and we're going to continue it this year. I love it. I love it. A white elephant uh, Christmas. Probably years past, uh, toilet paper was funny, and and probably this year people <laughs> might might welcome that as a white elephant gift. Uh, that's a wrap on this edition of the Inside ETFs podcast. Thank you to John for being here to share his insights with us. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes featuring thought leaders from across the New York Stock Exchange's family of ETFs. I'm Douglas Jonas, head of exchange traded funds at the New York Stock Exchange, the home of ETFs. This podcast is sponsored by Allianz Investment Management, LLC, issuer of defined outcome ETFs that give investors a level of risk mitigation to help them navigate current and future markets. As part of the Allianz Group, one of the largest asset management diversified insurance companies in the world, Allianz Investment Management, LLC, maintains a long track record of developing and executing risk management strategies across the globe. Investors should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses carefully before investing. For a prospectus with this and other information, visit AllianceIM.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Funds are distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.